Every Sunday night, me and my family, uh, we go to my parents' house. Um, my three siblings and I and my wife, we all eat dinner there. And it's, it's pretty chaotic, as you could imagine. I have siblings who are, who are kind of argumentative, and we argue quite a bit, but all in fun, and we're all, we all love each other, and at the end of the day, we're, we're very much loving siblings, even though we argue a lot. Those nights are generally full of games. Sometimes we just sit on the couch and just talk, and sometimes there are like several conversations going on. And a lot of times, we end up looking at our phones. Well, the last Sunday we were there, uh, we were all somehow got on the track of looking at old pictures on our phones. And we were really looking at old, funny pictures of some siblings and making fun of each other. But it, it turned into a really fun event of looking back at our, you know, at our lives and our relationships and how they've changed since we got our smartphones and stuff, because most of them were all smartphone pictures. And I, I found one that I, it's one of my favorite selfies of my brother and myself. And it's, it's of us with shaved heads. And that's only ever, I mean, other than when we were little, that only ever happened once, like, in our young adult phase in life. And it was funny. I started sharing it with people, and, and my dad was like, wow, when, when was that? Like, I forgot when that was. I looked at my phone, because of course, smartphones are nifty, and they, they store the date the picture was taken. So I just had to look at that, didn't even have to rely on my memory. And I said, 2019. It was taken in 2019. Well, a minute later, my sister chimed in, not even a minute, like a second later, my sister chimed in and said, nope, it was taken in 2017. I'm pretty sure. She then proceeded to argue with me and proceeded to bring in historical facts of our life <laughs> and historical events that happened in 2017 that led up to us shaving our heads. And, well, I kept arguing with her because, of course, I was right. It's 2019. And as, as we kept arguing that night, something in the back of my head kept going, mm. She might be right. I mean, I did graduate from high school in 2017, and I was bald then. Hmm. Maybe, maybe she's right. But of course, I didn't admit it. I didn't say that she was right. I honestly, I'm, ad I'm admitting it now. I was wrong. But I didn't want to admit I was wrong. And I, and I just kept arguing with her, regardless of how much I was, I was learning that I was wrong. Have you ever refused to hear the truth? Have you ever thought, like, just thought that you were right even though you knew you were wrong in the back of your head? Maybe, maybe you, you're a person who likes to take on new things and you took on just one too many or maybe two too many things and you're, you're going about your day and you're talking to your friends and one of your friends is like, are you sure you should be taking that on? Don't, don't you feel like you're overcommitted? And you immediately say, no. This is my life. I'm a busy person. I'm perfectly fine with taking on more things, even though you know the stress is getting to you and you know it's just one too many things and you just want to keep adding to it. You just don't want to admit it. Maybe, maybe your spouse asks you to take out the trash or do a chore and, and you promptly forget. Um, and then maybe, maybe a few hours later, your spouse comes back and is like, could you, 
could you do, could you take out the trash? Or maybe do the chore that she asked, or she or he asked you. And you respond, of course, I was just going to do that. Even though you knew you completely forgot and you still forgot and you still don't admit it. Maybe you didn't turn in your homework. Maybe you have a, an assignment um, in your college class and you come into class and it's one of the smaller ones so the professors are asking you why you didn't do your homework. It's not common in college, but maybe, just think for a second. And, and, and you decided, instead of doing your homework, you decided you wanted to go to that party or you wanted to play some video games or you wanted to go play some sport activity outside. And your teacher asks you and you said, well, I've been really busy at work and I just, I just couldn't do it. Even though you knew that you had the time and you decided not to do it. And you decided not to admit it in that moment when you were confronted with the truth. Let's pray as we, as we just settle in on that feeling of, of not letting go of what you believe is true, even though you know there's an inkling in the back of your head that you're wrong. Let's settle on that and, and pray as we get into God's word. Uh, I thank you, God, for today. I thank you for uh, this time that we get to reflect, Lord, and, and we get to respond to your word. And I, I just pray that um, as we go through uh, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that we, 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 um, we repent and we turn ourselves to you, Lord, and we, we prepare our hearts to listen to your word, Lord. Um, yeah. Amen. It's, it's not new that we react poorly to being wrong. It's, it's not. Like, back in the day, the Jews reacted exactly the same as we do right now. Like, it's historically just a human thing to do to react poorly to being called out or being wrong. We will deny it, we will get angry, we will, we will argue, even though, even if we know we're wrong, we will continue to fight it. As we've been in Matthew for the last few weeks, uh, we've been learning more about who Jesus is. Um, as John said last week, uh, Jesus is about to speak to people and his boots are on the ground now. We're finally going to hear Jesus speak to us. We'll be camping out in the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks. Um, next week, I'll be starting um, specifically the Beatitudes. Uh, but before then, let's talk about a little bit of context of how we can prepare ourselves to listen to the Sermon on the Mount. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples um, and the crowd around him. Let's remember that although Jesus is speaking to his disciples, um, Matthew wrote his gospel specifically for his fellow Jews. So let's look at the Sermon on the Mount from the perspective of the Jews at that time, uh, at Jesus' time. Let's dive into what they expected their Messiah to be and who they expected their Messiah to be and what they expected their Messiah to say and see how they reacted and how that can kind of guide us and guide our hearts and how we choose to react to listening to God's word. There were four main Jewish groups. Uh, one, the Pharisees. Two, the Sadducees. Three, the Zealots. And the fourth one are the Essenes. Now, these are the four main groups. I'm sure there were other smaller groups, but we're going to talk about the four main ones right now. Let's start with the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees believed in a very strict 
actionable um, interpretation of the Old Testament law. They're, they were kind of activists and had a lot of influence in their communities. Um, the Pharisees were the rule followers. They expected Jesus to validate their rules and they, they really, that was their culture. That was their lifestyle. They lived by these laws. They lived strictly by these laws and it was very clear to them. They expected Jesus to preach all about following the strict interpretation of the law. The Sadducees were kind of apathetic. They kept the, the peace and were, they were kind of, they, they enjoyed the governing system that the Greeks were bringing in and stuff like that. And they, they basically were politicians who also kept up the temple and, and just kind of kept the status quo and, and were, were happy to be, be good servants to their political bosses and, and really they were kind of religious in a kind of just to be religious. That was it. They just were religious to be religious. That was kind of what they grew up with and what they kept going. They expected their Messiah to also affirm that attitude and that, um, that place in their lives where they were. And they, they expected the, the Messiah, Jesus, to affirm their behavior and their belief that the world is too messy and there's not really, it's not really that important to work hard on following um, the laws or even thinking about following the laws or changing our heart posture. They wanted Jesus to, to validate that and say, yeah, the world is messy and you don't have to think about that anymore because I'm here. Now, the zealots were all about fighting for Jesus or for fighting for God. They were, they were the warriors. They wanted, they wanted, they believed that their Messiah would be their leader in fighting their battles and defeating their enemies, literally. They, they even prepared for it in their lives. In their lives. They, they were warriors. They prepared by practicing combat and a whole bunch of other things that I'm sure might have happened, but, but they, were, they were ready for their leader to fight for. And finally, the Essenes, they, they believed that to stay pure and to follow God's will, they had to isolate themselves and separate themselves from the sin of the world. So they decided to go away from society and live separated and worship and pray and be devout followers of God separately. And instead of, instead of living amongst their fellow human beings. And, and of course, they lived in their own community, so they're amongst other Essenes. They expected their Messiah to come and remove them from the sin of the earth and just take them away. So they, they stored up their expectations in the future and saw past a little bit of the present. They were hoping for Jesus to take them away. A, a common theme between all of these groups is that they had expectations for their Messiah and they believed those expectations were right and they expected, you know, as you do when you expect something, you believe it's going to happen. <laughs> and they expected their Messiah, they expected Jesus to fulfill all of that, to fulfill um, their, the law, to keep, uh, to keep strictly following the law or to say, hey, yeah, this is the way to go. You got to follow the law like the Pharisees wanted or the Sadducees to, to say that, yeah, your, your apathy is right. You, you, know, you know, you just got to keep going through life even though it's tough. You just, 
go with the flow and whatever the government's doing, you kind of follow it. Or, or the zealots, like, they, they had an expectation of a fighter and Jesus, Jesus was not a fighter. <laughs> Their expectations were very clear and the Essenes were also very clear of like someone who would take them away and be, be done with the sin of the earth. Let's look a little more specifically of, uh, at how the words of Jesus would have challenged these different Jewish beliefs and cultures. In Matthew 5, uh, verses 21 to 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. In the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus references many Old Testament laws in this way. The common interpretation is, he states the common interpretation at the beginning, and then he kind of flips it upside down or adds depth to it. Um, in this example, he says, you heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And then follows it with, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He takes the original interpretation of the law and he clarifies it with its real intent. We're hearing it from the authority on the law that this is actually what this law means. He has come to fulfill the law and not abolish it. That's actually in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He clarifies that the intent behind the law isn't just don't murder, but it it is that any anger towards your brother is treated the same as murder in God's eyes. He calls us to think, and he calls the Jews at the time to think, more about the law than just it's an action, but it's, it's a heart posture. It's a heart change. This really upset the Pharisees. Of course, because their culture and their lifestyle was centered around the legal cut and dry interpretation of the law. They... They were strict rule followers, and they expected Jesus to come and reinforce that. And clearly, Jesus did not. <laughs> Very early on in the Sermon on the Mount, he is completely tearing apart that strict interpretation of the law. And he is adding to it. He's bringing depth to it. They, they, their expectation of Jesus was not met, and they, they denied it. They got angry with it. They got angry with him. They reacted poorly. In, in chapter 5 of verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this section I feel specifically challenges the Sadducees' lifestyle. Their perspective was to keep the peace and stick with the norms and, and just, you know, go with the flow. They expected Jesus to say that the laws are not important and following them isn't the most important thing in the world. They hoped for a liberator of the law. In that verse, Jesus calls us to do just the opposite. He calls them to do just the opposite. He calls us to adhere and teach the full depth of the commandments. The Sadducees' ex expectations of Jesus were also not met. And they responded also poorly. 
What about the zealots? Did Jesus meet their expectations? Nope. They expected Jesus to be their warrior king. They expected him to bring literal, physical victory over their enemies. They had been preparing to fight alongside Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus speaks of peace rather than fighting. Can you imagine hearing from Jesus? Like he says the actual opposite of what you have been following and living out in your life. Can you just imagine that? Like, that's, that's tough. Now let's look at the last Jewish group, the Essenes. Their culture was that of isolation and removal from society. They decided to run away from the sin of the world and live their lives separated in prayer and worship, waiting for their Messiah to come and take them. They expected Jesus to come and take them away from it. While Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If I were in a sin, I'd feel called out. Jesus calls us to share the light and the good news and the goodness of God and his love for us. He doesn't call us to isolate ourselves from the world and share the light amongst ourselves. As you can see from just, just a few examples, these are very few compared to the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's why we're going to go over it in several weeks. Um, Jesus challenges and challenged the Jewish culture and tested it with all of his words. And they, their reaction to this, the Jewish reaction to this, they were so threatened by it that they eventually had him killed. That's how threatened they felt. That was their response to being called out as wrong. How, how do you respond when Jesus challenges your lifestyle or your beliefs? There, there's, something, there's something for all of us in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we will be confronted by Jesus' words, and uh, we'll probably feel conviction. Our lifestyles will be challenged, just like those of the Jews. Do you, maybe do you sometimes read scripture like the Pharisees, how they reacted and listened to Jesus' words? Interpreting scripture as a rule book, very strict and very clear cut, you know, follow this, do this, the end. Jesus invites us to see past that. He invites us to see deeper and to look into our hearts and and grow in a relationship with him more than just follow the rules. Maybe you sometimes feel the opposite as if the Bible is a set of guidelines that can or can't be followed, maybe. Kind of like the Sadducees, you know, just go with life as it is, and it's, you know, we all, it's fine, kind of. Jesus invites us not just to follow him, We'll start with that. He invites us to follow him and to follow those commandments. But he also invites us to share those commandments and share his love with people. A very active step, a very active posture. Maybe you're looking for a winning argument in the Bible. Kind of like the zealots. You're looking for God to win your battle. 
and kind of, you know, not as physical as the zealots were looking for, but maybe you're using the words of the Bible to win this, this big argument you've had with someone, and you're using it kind of like a weapon. Well, Jesus invites us to love our enemies and pray for them. Not use the Bible as a weapon. Although God's word is powerful, as, as you heard in the scripture reading today from Nate, and it will shake us, but that is, that is God's position upon us. It is not our weapon to use against other people. And finally, maybe, maybe you, you're like the Essenes. Maybe you sometimes read the Bible like the Essenes, and your focus is in the future and not the present. I mean, our hope is in the future, but Jesus calls us to act now, to love now, to grow now, and not just to wait for him to take us away. We, we all have heard Jesus' words, like how the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, even the Essenes heard them. We all have the tendency to respond to change like they did too. Maybe not as extreme. I mean, we, we can't physically have Jesus killed. But, and we don't want that. I don't think most of us have that extreme response. But we do have extreme responses to being called out as wrong. And we, we deny it. We ignore it. We argue with it. Those are like the big ones, and we're apathetic to it sometimes. Jesus' words will pierce us and challenge us as we go through the rest of Matthew. How you listen to Jesus and respond is in your control. In Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You've probably studied the Sermon on the Mount before, or you've probably heard things about it before. I invite you to study it with a fresh perspective, to listen with fresh ears, to allow yourself to be tested or challenged by the words of Jesus. If, if we all were humbly listening to Jesus' words like this, if we all heard Jesus' words in a humble way and received them humbly, can you, just, can you imagine the change that would take place in our hearts and in our community on that very day that we decide to humbly listen to the scripture, all of us? Let's as a church, as a community, as a culture, humble our hearts and minds as we dive into Jesus' teachings. Let's repent. Let's open ourselves up to Jesus' challenges in our lifestyles, our beliefs, our understanding. Let's choose to change directions towards Jesus. I'm gonna to invite Toby back up on stage as I pray us out. Thank you, God, for today. I thank you for this time together, Lord, and I, um, I just pray that you work on our hearts, Lord, and, and you prepare us for um, listening to your truth, um, maybe in a new light, and uh, I pray that you, you help us and encourage us to to discuss it as a community and to, to dive into it together, Lord, um, and grow in it together. Amen.